It's time for another edition of the I'm in Love With That Song podcast coming to you on the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brad Page, and this episode is another in our occasional series of discussions we're calling The Albums That Made Us. Beyond the details of how songs are created and recorded, we like to explore the way music impacts our lives. On this series, I invite a guest to come on and share an album that's impacted them. On this episode, we'll be joined by Chris Porter. Chris has had a long career in the concert industry, over 30 years now. He started booking venues in Boston and eventually ended up all the way across the country in Seattle, where he was the music programmer for the famous Bumbershoot Festival for years. He started his own company, Porter Productions, in 2015, doing booking management, talent buying, consulting, and production coordination for events all across the U.S., including the Hardly Strictly Bluegrass Festival in San Francisco, which is one of the best festivals in the country. And back here in his hometown of Lowell, Massachusetts, he puts on the Town and the City Festival every fall. But most importantly to me, Chris is an old friend. We met working in a record store back in the 80s, and we've been friends ever since. So I am so happy to have Chris join us for this episode. So, Chris Porter, welcome to the I'm in Love With That Song podcast. I'm psyched to be here, Brad. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so glad to have you here. Uh, Throughout my life, music has been the most influential thing. There are certain albums that are like touchstones or signposts in my life that mark a specific point in time or had a huge influence on me, maybe even changed the direction of my life. I'm always interested to hear what albums have had that effect on other people. So tell me about an album that means a lot to you personally. So there were a lot of albums I could have picked. There was, you know, eight or nine just popped up in my head right away. But I wanted to pick or focus on something that has been ongoing, a big part of me. I mean, there are a lot that I can think of going through a breakup or going through graduation or going through a triumph or whatever. But sometimes, you know, those effects of those records that I played to death were for a very finite time. I picked the Rolling Stones Aftermath because it was so much of a gateway for me in a lot of directions. I'll give you I'll give you a little background on me picking this up. So this was very early on in my rock and roll music discovery um, and, and adventure that's that's ongoing till to, to this day. So I was about 12 or 13 years old when I bought this album. So that would have been, I think, 1978 around then. It was shortly after I got my first FM radio when I was in junior high. And then I was able to open up my world to a lot of great music from the 60s and 70s, and particularly the Rolling Stones being a big part of that. When I would get my allowance from my father, you know, he gave me a maybe five or six bucks a week or something like that. So about two weeks worth of an allowance would be enough for me to purchase an album. And once every month and a half or so, I'd get dragged to the mall or to Boston, uh, forced to go shopping with my mother and grandmother and aunt. And so while they were always closed shopping, fortunately, there was some record stores and bookstores nearby. So that gave me an opportunity to purchase a record. And over the course of a year or so, I purchased as many Rolling Stones and Who albums, and sometimes later on Beatles, Doors, Led Zeppelin. So Aftermath was the very first one I purchased with my own money. Um, It came out in 1966. 
So this was about 12 years after it came out. I knew Painted Black, but I didn't really know any of the other songs on the, on the uh, album. So that album, which I just played to death, I'd just be there, whether it was cranking it up on my speakers or to getting my old clunky cost stereo phones hooked into my record player and just lying down on my bedroom floor and just getting lost in music. So I would just, you know, just pour through and listen to this album over and over again. And it was a gateway for me to the rest of the Stones repertoire, because, you know, I, after that, I bought some of their earlier stuff and then also their later stuff. It was a gateway to eclectic rock and roll, I'd say, because this album was the first one. They really used a lot of unorthodox instruments. From my understanding, it was, it was a very Brian Jones-influenced album. He really did a lot on this album, even though he didn't write the songs. But he, he had a lot of the influence on the sound. He's playing the marimba on a track, a dulcimer, sitar. So consequently, it also opened me up to psychedelic rock, garage rock, uh, opened me up to many of their contemporaries and peers of the Stones and, and the countless bands that were Rolling Stones sound-alikes. And, and this was the first album, speaking of writing songs, too, this was the first album, the entire album was written by Jagger and Richard. All the previous ones always had one, two, if not a half dozen covers. Right, all those Chuck Berry songs. Exactly, Chuck Berry, Muddy Waters, whatever, exactly. And uh, this one, uh, this was all their stuff. And you had some, you know, uh, the dynamics of the record, some hard rock and stuff some you know very uh, kind of ethereal sort of things like lady jane uh high and dry is almost like kind of a countryish song so it's it's really all over the place yet still all very complementary to each other um and uh and it just had this certain mood a certain sound it just it just maybe the, it's the most significant one to me and because it just resonated with me the most in some ways just those for that undescribable reason of like why does the song touch you it just does right yeah because of the sound, the lyrics, whatever. I mean, painted black, and you know, it kind of sounds like kind of, you know, you get a little bit of a teenage angst in you. I look inside myself and see my heart is black. I see my red door, I must have it painted black. Maybe then I'll fade away and I have to face the facts. It's not easy facing up when you're home. Green seagull turn a deeper blue. I could not foresee this thing happening to you. If I look hard enough into the set. Under my thumb, okay, these days people would look at it, what a misogynist bunch of lyrics, but uh, to a uh, testosterone fueled teenage boy, it spoke to me. Uh, I'll, I'll admit it, you know. So it is, it is, uh, it is kind of a nasty song. Uh, and yet you've got the marimba, which is such a key element to that song, which is, there's no such thing as a nasty sounding marimba. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. I, yeah, exactly. It's down in 
And I, going back and listening to it, I had forgotten how much a key element that fuzz bass is on that song. Bill Wyman really cranks up the fuzz bass. It just adds a whole neat element to that track. You know, the most well-known songs are on the first side of the album. Paint It Black, Stupid Girl would get a little bit of airplay. Lady Jane was a hit, Under My Thumb. I'd even hear Think once in a long while on a, on a radio station. I think Think is kind of the underappreciated track on this record. I think it's a really strong song that stands up to all the hits. I'm giving you a piece of my interesting you should say that i wholeheartedly agree and i remember when when i first heard that song because i must have I, I guess i must have heard it before i bought this album because i remember the first time i heard that and i could recognize it was mick jagger's voice so i thought this is a stone song but i just remember that was one of those songs that stopped me in my tracks I'm like oh what what is this think think what what album's that on oh you know and I, I, that's probably another reason why i picked aftermath to be my first rolling stones record because i'm making notes of those songs that i want under my thumb and paint it black and all, and and i was like oh think that that's on this album too okay that's it that's going to be the first one i buy that whole first side it's just so solid and underrated some of those songs i, I wholeheartedly stupid girl i feel that way about too that's a really catchy song it, again it's enough it's another fairly nasty song, but it's super catchy. I'm not talking about the kind of clothes she wears. Look at that stupid girl. I'm not talking about the way she combs her hair. Look at that stupid girl. The way she powders her nose. Her vanity shows and it shows. She's the worst thing in this world. Yeah, who wants to be Mick Jagger's girlfriend here? You know, he's. Really, <laughs> I think, from my understanding, a lot of this his angsty songs in those days were from about his uh, on and off girlfriend Chrissy Shrimpton, who was model Jean Shrimpton's sister. So a little trivia there. I, and I, I think I think they had a very volatile relationship. So we can sort of thank Chrissy in an indirect way for a lot of these these songs, I guess. The second side I'd love to talk about because. That that's also underrated, and these are songs you wouldn't uh, very rarely hear. Flight five hundred five and high and dry. They have a little bit of a little country twang to them. Uh, it's not easy. It's a nice little straight rock song. I am waiting was one of those songs that kind of had to grow on me. I thought this is kind of weird. I am waiting. I am waiting, and it seemed kind of a little repetitive and wasn't so into it. But over the years, 
it's great when songs maybe don't hit you right away, but then later on, you're like, wow. I am waiting, I am waiting, oh yeah, oh yeah, I am waiting, I am waiting, oh yeah, oh yeah, waiting for someone to come out of somewhere, waiting for someone to come out of somewhere. It's funny how things grow on you later on, and I Am Waiting is one of those songs for me. Right. And then also, last but not least, Going Home. What a rave up that is. 11 minutes and 35 seconds of this psychedelic-y, bluesy, country rock, just jam-out thing. Uh, I love it. It's in, in just was like one of the longest, before I got into any sort of prog or, you know, 70s albums that have like really long tracks, that was mind-blowing to me. There's a track that's a, over 11 minutes. What? That was a new experience for me as well. When you're 3,000 miles away, I just never sleep the same. If I pack my things right now, I could be home in seven hours. I'm going home. 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 Yeah, it's almost um, hypnotic. It's probably the most divisive track on the record. I would. There's probably a lot of people that just can't abide by an 11 minute, basically three chord blues song. But if it's if you're into that kind of thing, it does almost become trance like. Yeah, it's not for everybody. But um, and I that was maybe a little like I am waiting was was something that had to grow on me over time, but it certainly did. And uh, I'm, I may throw that on after we, we get off our conversation here. I haven't heard it in a while. I was just so hooked in by every little inch of this record and, and the liner notes and everything. And there were songs on here that just so astounded me. And I wondered why at the time, that why incredible music like this wasn't on the radio or TV anymore. You know, everybody was on the next thing, and I was still learning, and I was in diapers when when this album came out. Yeah, I think it came out, I don't think I was quite one year old yet. But, uh, you know, thankfully, uh, I wasn't too late to at least be exposed to it, and I'm grateful to the Rolling Stones for making it and for it to you know bring back just some good memories of my junior high and teenage years. It was one of those records that I just often got, went back to and also just became such a Rolling Stones fan. I, I did get to see the band a number of times later on. 
So, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an album that, that meant a lot and will continue to mean a lot. It's one of the interesting things about it's true for all art that even in this case, it was an older record at the time you discovered it, but it was new to you. It's, it's always there to be discovered, to, to be new for somebody. And it can mean as much, in your case, what, probably 12 years after it was recorded. Yeah, that's Some kid with the right um, inclination could pick it up today and have that same discovery because it's the first time they've heard something like that. Music can always be rediscovered. It can always be fresh to somebody. Absolutely. And we have so much that we can discover at our fingertips thanks to the computer and internet world and YouTube, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. Anything you want to find out, you know, or 90% of it, it's on there somewhere. So I, I, it warms my heart when some 15-year-old kid tells me, wow, I just, I just heard Creedence Clearwater Revival for the first time. I think I want to get their records. <laughs> I'm like, wow, cool, you know. Or there's also a lot of great new music. And, I, you know, there'll be some bands that uh, or artists that, uh, you know, they're, they're doing new contemporary music. But you could tell that, oh, okay, that's a little nod to something in the past that I can really relate to. So that, uh, that, that always um, makes me smile. Yeah, I think one thing that you and I have in common, I think probably a lot of listeners to the show do, is is that you discover something uh, when you're younger that's of your time. It's of the moment. And other people would leave it at that, but for some reason we have an inclination to find out, well, where did this come from? Who inspired this? And you find out, you know, that the that band might have been inspired by the Stones, right? So you listen to the Stones and then you, well, who inspired the Stones? And that leads you back to Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf. And you, you're you constantly like an archaeologist, you know, <laughs> digging digging back. And, and But that keeps that older music vital and alive. And, and that's what really thrills me is to find uh, younger musicians and just fans who are listening to the music that's of their time, that's, that's from their peers, but they're taking those steps and in, in finding out who inspired those bands and who inspired them. And then back and back and back. And just that, that music doesn't get forgotten. It continues to live on. Well, thanks for bringing that record to the table. When you mentioned this album, it made me think about a record that was sort of like that for me in that sense of discovery who's next by the who i was a little late to come to the who i knew who they were and and heard some songs but they weren't that much on my radar at the time but it was seeing the film the kids are all right that rock doc in 1979 that i just became an instant fan i saw it in the theater when it was out in its initial run was totally blown away. The next weekend I brought a friend to see it a second time and was even more knocked out than the first time. So the first Who album that I bought uh, was the soundtrack to that film. But the second one was Who's Next? And that was just a case of going into the record store and pulling the records out of the bin and looking at the track listings on the back and I mean, that record is a monster album. It's every track is great. Half the tracks got a lot of airplay uh, on FM radio. More than half the tracks are just, they're just absolutely epic. 
I would never get tired of listening to this album. Um, the songs are filled with kind of both the, the promise of youth and the disillusionment of youth. It's, it's sort of the whole experience of being young and hopeful and free, but not really free. Uh, and the sort of inevitable disappointment or frustration of that, but it's sort of all wrapped up in one album. And uh, I put it on again today just before we talked about it, and it still hits me in that, that same way. It's just such a powerful record. It is a masterpiece, an absolute masterpiece. I wholeheartedly agree with everything you said. I I did get into The Who around the same time, The Stones, maybe a little after, but it was around the same time. But that's interesting. I had the same, or very similar, I, uh, I, Who's Next was my second Who record I ever bought. Meaty, their little best of uh, compilation, Meaty, Beaty, Big and Bouncy, that was actually my first one. Right. But Who's Next was the, the, the second one, and that was just like me listening to Aftermath, it was cost headphones, Lying down on my bedroom floor, cranking that up. Uh, every song on it, brilliant. It really is. There's no weak tracks on the record. And like I said, more than half of them are just, they're, they're epic. Um, it's almost too much to take. I mean, everybody knows Baba O'Reilly and Won't Get Fooled Again, probably Behind Blue Eyes. But a song like Bargain, which got some FM airplay, but I mean, that song is to me is sort of the unsung track on the record in terms of like, that's just a completely epic song. song like getting in tune on any other album that would have been the anthem uh, but this record is so packed full of just great moments and great songs it's it's not that it gets lost but it's just another track on this just amazing record i'm singing this note because it fits in well with the way i'm feeling there's a symphony that I hear in your heart sets my head reeling But I'm in tune, right in tune I'm in tune, and I'm gonna tune
probably, if I underrated tracks, just the ones I didn't hear as much as some of the other ones. Um, going mobile, I just that's just such a catchy tune to me. And then a beautiful one. The song is over. I mean, almost bring a tear to your eye. Our love is over. They're all ahead now. I've got to learn it. I'm gonna sing out. And then my wife, you know, getting that's a little bit of a old curveball there and whistle, you know, and uh, but a fun, fun tune as well. And uh, great, great driving song that is. absolutely true that quite a few of these tracks are overly familiar um especially given that they've been used as themes on tv shows and but i would encourage people who maybe roll their eyes at at, at those tracks take a break from them and then come back to them yes after in any record that you feel that you just don't really want to hear again take a break and 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 when you come back, you will rediscover the songs anew and just get to experience them as the great songs they are over again. I think the biggest example, uh, what you just said there about, you know, going back to something, but, you know, Led Zeppelin four. Oh my God, I couldn't bear to listen to that for years because it just was, you know, Stairway to Heaven and Ivy and Black Dog. I just heard way too much. But now we can get away from that. You know, going back listening to something carefully too and just like oh my god what a masterpiece that was and it'll sound fresh again Chris, thank you so much for joining me to talk about this record. Um, tell me a little bit about what Porter Productions is up to these days. I know there's challenging times. Well, my company focuses on uh, talent buying, curating of festivals. We do some booking management for venues, uh, a lot of consulting, 
and it's also presenting of uh, special concerts and special events. So it's really a, a mix of things. And uh, while I'm mainly based in Seattle, I work on events in San Francisco and in the Boston area. Now, coming out of our pandemic time, at the moment, as I'm speaking to you now, we're seeing sort of a light at the end of the tunnel with vaccines, uh, but uh, we're still not sure when we can really press the on button, press the go button, so to speak. So I know that most things that I would normally be working in the summer won't be happening, but in the fall, we're feeling pretty good about it. Hardly Strictly Bluegrass is my biggest project. It's a huge festival that happens in Golden Gate Park in San Francisco every fall, usually uh, the first weekend of October. It's a three-day event, free admission, an enormous event that hundreds of thousands of people come to. And while there is bluegrass, hence in the name, uh, there's a lot of hardly in there, too. It's a very eclectic festival, sort of a Americana-leaning festival, uh, but we'll have, you know, rock and soul and folk and blues and it's it's very eclectic festival i'm very proud to work on and we're feeling some optimism we'll be able to present something it may need to be in a less ambitious uh level than we usually do but we'll see also uh, another thing that happens for me back in uh, massachusetts i present uh, a festival called the town and the city festival that's uh, happened in lowell and we hope to bring back this year it's uh, October 22 and 23 are the targeted dates of it right now. And I'm feeling good that we'll be able to present something. And so I'm working on that right now. And I hope to have uh, some news for, for you and, and the public, uh, hopefully by, by late spring, early summer, uh, that we can move forward. Well, that'd be great. Yeah, please let me know. And I, I know there's a lot, a lot of people who are just itching to get, uh, to get live music back in their lives. So... Thanks for everything you do to bring us live music. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Chris, you and I, we've known each other for almost 40 years now. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we go back, but it's always, always a pleasure to talk to you. So thank you so much for sharing your record. I'm very glad to do it, man. Thank you so much. As I love, I love you know, you and I, when we get together, we love talking music. And so uh, this is uh, one of my favorite subjects and uh, great to speak with you. So cheers to you, man. Yeah, well, we would be talking about music even if the record button wasn't pressed. So. There you go, exactly. Chris Porter, everybody. An old friend and a fascinating guy. Always a joy to talk to him. Keep an eye out for Porter Productions. As soon as live music returns, he'll be back at it. So go out and support those live events. Thanks for joining me for this episode. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, the home for music-related podcasts. Tell us about an album that's made a difference in your life. You can post it on our Facebook page. You can send email to lovethatsongpodcast at gmail.com or post it on our website, lovethatsongpodcast.com. Thanks again. Keep supporting the music you love, and we'll be back in two weeks. Take care, everyone. And it's hard. It's not easy. And it's hard.